I don't like this. I don't like this pulpit because it's too small. <laughs> Can't hide behind it. Don't you feel kind of uncovered up here? Kind of yes. vulnerable? <laughs> I like the shield up here. And the, no more glass pulpits for this church. I know. Well, good morning. We're in chapter number six, I'm told, by my notes. We left off in uh, verse number 11. Let's read verses 7 to 11, then we'll pray and we'll teach. Romans chapter 6, verse number 7, just to pick up the context a little bit here. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. Father, pray God you bless the lesson today, Father. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we were talking about dying to sin, dying with Christ. We've been talking about that for a while. I talked about baptism. Um, verse number 11, Likewise, reckon yourselves to also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have nowhere to put my paper at. Oh, that's a problem. Use my iPad next time. Just kind of scroll. So reckon yourselves to be dead, uh, believers here are commanded to reckon themselves to be really and effectually dead to sin. That's what he's talking about. And alive again unto God in Jesus Christ. Reckon is an accounting word. Uh, and it means, to, it means to conclude after calculating. It's like when you balance your checkbook and you do the math and you conclude after calculating that you're really broke. You know, that you, does anybody balance a checkbook anymore? You young folks? Yeah, zeros all the way. Yeah. My, kid doesn't, my kids don't balance checkbooks. Everything online, don't get receipts. Yeah. I don't like it when I don't get receipts. I ask for them. I need, I need a receipt. You look at your, young folks, look at your real funny. A receipt? What for? <laughs> I like paper. But I don't know how they do it without that. I don't know what they do. It's amazing. So to... Uh, conclude after calculating. That's what the word reckon means. Okay? Uh, it tells us, Paul tells us to reckon or account ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God. Uh, Paul wants us to note something of greatest importance. Unless we keep in mind that we are dead to sin and alive unto God, couple things happen. We can't serve God if we're not dead to sin. If we battle sin or if sin's taken over us, we'll talk about that more as we go towards the end of the chapter. If sin controls us, we can't serve God. And if we can't serve God, then we're serving sin or we're serving, as in the case of these Jews he was talking to, serving the oldness of the letter. So, uh, I'll mention this here. This isn't part of my lesson, but we've been in some churches that were very legalistic. I don't know if you have ever been to that, but the church members, pastor, mostly the church members, it seems, 
uh, attack you as soon as you walk in there if you're not dressed according to their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Standards, yeah. They attack you, especially women, women on women. Bad news. If you're not wearing the appropriate attire, they teach you right away. And we've been in some of those churches, especially over in Germany, when we were there, a few churches where we were in, very, very harsh, and people start serving legalism. They start dressing different or active because of legal standards. And who should be deciding how you act and how you, and how you do things? Holy Spirit should be. When you're convinced by the Holy Spirit, then you want to change because God's impressed upon you. If you're changing because you're legal, uh, a legalistic church and people are telling you you have to do it, that change isn't real. And people leave and they're hurt. And we've experienced, we've been in about 13 or 14 different churches since we've been married. Not that we hop around. Because uh, we get transferred, we move, we move every two or three years. But um, we've been to all these churches here, and it, it's things, something I've learned about this, and I've seen it, we've seen it, that people get hurt under these legalistic standards and because it isn't real and they can't maintain it because it's fake. It's not real. It's not Holy Spirit driven. And then they leave and they're hurt. You meet them around town. I went to church once, but I got hurt. Well, how'd you get hurt? I couldn't measure up to what they said I should. That's wrong. And that's not the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul here is saying, don't serve under that or the law. Let the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if you're really saved and you're dead to sin, then you'll want to serve God. Amen. Kind of threw that in there free. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come to make effective, saying all that to say this, Holy Spirit came to make effective in us what Christ has done for us. Did you catch that? What He's done in us, He wants to see through us doing the things He did for us. He saved us and He wants us to work for Him. Verse 12, Let not sin... Therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Having proved how groundless, you look at verse number 1 back in this chapter, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, having proved this groundless, this objection, oh, now that we're saved, we can sin. Having proved that wrong, he... he uh, leads us and exhorts us to live agreeably to the holy nature and the design of the gospel. Uh, when I got saved and you got saved, you were changed, but everybody changes a little bit different. Some people change a little faster. Some people grow faster, so it's not a thing where we judge folks. God works on us through the Holy Spirit, and He works on us at the speed we need to change at. Okay, so... Uh, Paul's saying just live agreeably and under the Holy Spirit and work uh, through the design of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel. Work on that. God's going to tell you what you need to improve on. He's going to impress that upon you. How many of you have ever been impressed before? Yeah, I, I've been impressed before. I wasn't, I wasn't too impressed with it, but I, I was impressed before. That I need to change some things in my life. Yeah. With this objective in mind, Paul's saying uh, he's trying to provoke Christians to walk in the newness of life. We talked about 
uh, the example of baptism, how we've died to sin. What's the other half of that? Walk in newness of life. Let's talk about that for a minute. We've been talking about dying to sin and the effects of sin. But now he's trying to provoke us. What does the word provoke mean? Encourage, kind of, you know, yeah. Kind of probed a little bit. Yeah, strongly encouraged sometimes. Yeah. Uh, provoke us to walk in this newness of life. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. I got bad news for you. We're still mortal. Found that out. We're still mortal. We still have to battle sin in this body. We're still mortal. So he says, Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body. We're not going to be immortal until we die. Okay? And we are with Christ. So he's trying to urge these converts to do their duty. Do we have a duty as a Christian? We got duty. You ever hear Jack Howell's sermon on duty? Boy. Just hammers you. Duty, duty. Then he does that thing with his throat. Duty, duty. Right? Yeah, I heard that. We have a duty. We are dead to sin, but he says you have a duty to serve now. Unless Christians... Uh, possess the conviction and the, uh, the intention of Paul's uh, uh, message here is, uh, is uh, ineffective. What's a conviction? It doesn't, that word's not used here, but he's talking all around it. Conviction is a commitment to Scripture as one's authority. The Bible says thus and so, I believe thus and so, and I, I believe that. Not only do you believe it, you have the courage to stand up for it. That's a conviction. Back in the 70s and 80s, we used conviction. Oh, I got a conviction against that. Well, conviction is something you're willing to stand up for. I mean, stand up for. I had some convictions back then I wasn't willing to stand up for too well. I mean, when it, I wasn't going to die for not wearing a tie or some other dumb thing that people had a conviction about. But it, a conviction is something that you strongly believe based on Scripture, and you have the courage to stand up for it. So when folks start cursing God's name, we tell them that's offensive. We don't like that. Or when they start doing something else that's, that's wrong, we got the courage to stand up and say the Bible says this. Uh, they use the words uh, God's name in vain. I had folks at work, <laughs> I had a few of them almost trained. At least when you're in my office, I don't want to hear it. I don't have to. Okay, so Paul's trying to tell us to, to have the uh, steadfastness to not only serve God, but start in his newness of life, but to be provoked to work for him, to serve him. We struggle with sin while we're still in this body. Our future glorified state we will live entirely with God, and we will be without sin. I don't believe too much in bumper sticker theology, but they had to one there. Uh, Christians uh, aren't sinless, but they sin less. You ever see that one before? Yeah, that one's, that one's true, I guess, but I don't like bumper sticker theology. You don't see them so much anymore. Certain parts of the country, everybody's got a bumper sticker. 
And they drive real bad too with that. You go, oh man, I can have that bumper sticker and drive the way you're driving. Don't cigarette butts out the window and stuff. You know, oh no. You like stop them saying, look, I'm going to remove your bumper sticker. But I never did. Okay, anyways. So we will be sinless, sinless when we get to heaven. But right now we've got to battle this body. We've got to battle our mortal body. So he's saying all this to say this, sin should not have our bodies under subjection. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Neither yield your members as instruments. This is saying do not... Um, present, uh, afford, make available, or make a donation of your members, parts of you, okay? Lost my place a second here. As weapons of unrighteousness. What do instruments mean? Instruments means weapons. It says here in verse 13, yield your members as instruments. That means weapons. That's what that means in whatever language it is. Weapons or the means to be used in works of unrighteousness. Don't, don't let your hands do things that are against God. Don't let your mouth do things that are sinful. Uh, don't let your members be the means of works of unrighteousness. That's what he's saying. If sin is not to be practiced through the members... Neither is it to be indulged in the thoughts of the mind. My members don't have a mind. My hands don't have a mind. My mouth doesn't most of the time. You know, we don't have a mind. We have one mind. We've got to yield that also. Look at James chapter number 1. We can't blame our hands or our eyes or whatever we have as a member we're talking about. We can't blame that for sin. We've got to blame our mind. Look at verse number 13, James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with, in, with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his what? Own lust. Where does that happen at? Right here. That's where that happens at. You may see it. But your mind says, I want that diesel pickup truck. Or whatever it is that says to you. Your mind. And when it's conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So that's what Paul's talking about here. Don't yield your members to commit sin, but it starts with your mind. It's the thoughts of our mind that leads our members to sin. So don't yield or surrender to sin. Our members are supposed to be used to praise God and serve God. That's what they're supposed to be used for now. Amen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, verse 14. So for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. This is a great statement. Here's a great verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you're not under the law, but under grace. 
or sin? This completes the answer to verse number one there. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? For a man shall not have dominion, so sin shall have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. In verse 15, more. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, this word for, F-O-R, is used twice in this verse. For sin and for ye there. You can see those two times it's used. The first time it's used, for sin, uh, gives a reason why believers should do their best to give their members to the service of God. They shall not fail in their attempt. Sin shall not have dominion over you. The next four gives the reason why sin shall not have dominion over you, because we're not under the law, we're under grace. For ye are not under the law. Believers are not under the law as a covenant. Remember what a covenant is? God says, you do this and I'll do this. What if you don't do this? Then I'll do this. We're not under that. Okay? Why? Because believers have obeyed the precepts of the law in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. By whom the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled. Right. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse number 2. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ hath made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be what? Fulfilled in who? Us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay? The righteousness of the law has been fulfilled. We don't have to keep the law. We're not under law. It's been fulfilled. Christ kept the law. He didn't break the law. Not a single one. Because He did and we're in Him, we did too. But every man is, when he's united to Christ, is no longer under the law. And not condemned by the law. And we don't have to work to be justified by the law. Jesus paid for our sins and given, has given us justification, righteousness. Okay? This implies that all who are under the law, who all are working their way to heaven, uh, are still under the dominion of sin. Uh, Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things, we discussed this, this before, all things which are written in the book of the law to them, to do them. So if you're going to be under the law, you're responsible for keeping all the law. Remember that? We discussed that earlier on. So you don't want to be under the law because you can't keep it. But under grace, he says here. Amen. We're under grace. And we enjoy the blessings of being under grace. All that is required of us is promised to us. We don't have to work. We needed grace to get saved. Did we have grace? God gave us grace. So everything we needed, He gave to us. Verse 15, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. 
Remember back in chapter 2, we talked about the diatribe style? Remember that? Anybody? We had Mr. O-Man and Mr. Say. Remember that? When Paul throws out a statement or a question, do you think this old man? He's doing it all through the book of Romans here. He does it in verse number 1. What shall we say then? He's making this statement. What shall we say? Shall we do this or this? And he says those things. He makes those statements so he can answer them. They're all through Romans. They're all through chapter 6. They'll be in chapter 7. So I haven't been calling those out, but that's that diatribe style. You know, like pastor, you say this. Well, that may be what you're thinking. It may be think, he thinking that's what you're thinking. But he's going to answer the question. You say this. Well, I'll tell you about this. But he asked the question himself, and you didn't have to. Because he thought you were thinking about it anyways. Because people do. Okay? And it's part of his message, and he has to say it. No. But Paul does that. What shall we say then? Because people are opposing his ideas. People are opposing his doctrine. They're afraid of this thing called grace. They don't like this thing called grace. I'll tell you why in a minute. What shall we say then? Shall we just continue in sin? That grace may abound? Like in chapter 3, we can just sin more and got to get more glory. What kind of thinking is that? So he answers his own question here, and that's why he asked it. What then, in verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He just revised verse number 1. Asked the same question. And his answer is, God forbid. No, we can't do that. Okay, so that's that diatribe style. He uses it all through the book of Romans. What then? What is the, what is the inference that needs to be understood from the preceding declaration here in verse number 14? For sin shall not have dominion over you. What, what shall we understand from that? Shall we sin? In that verse, that, that word sin in this verse here means active tense. Shall we continue sinning? That's what he's asking. Active sense. Paul's been proving all along here that uh, justification by faith without works does not give a license for us to sin. Just because we're saved and under grace doesn't give us a license to sin. So that's what he's talking about here. But on the contrary, Jesus Christ died on the cross for payment of our sins, His resurrection for our justification, and this secures our walking in newness of life. This is how we can do that. How were you doing before you got saved dealing with sin? Not that great. Turned over lots of leaves. Even raked the leaves and you couldn't stop sinning. It didn't do any good. But now that we have newness of life and we're under grace and the Holy Spirit guides our life, we can do better, can't we, with sin? We can stop certain sins. We can know when we're doing sin, because the Holy Spirit says, ah, you don't want to, you gotta do that. Nope. Right. And we get that conviction. We get that, that conscious thing saying, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I bet this is sin. So we have that now. The Holy Spirit talks to us. Okay, so uh, having then declared in verse 14 that by the blessings of God, 
we should be able to perform these service to God. He gives us the ability to do that. So Paul kind of cautions here against abuse of grace. We discussed this early on. Don't abuse this grace. 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. And that cannot seem sin. That means habitual sin. We all still sin, but it means you're not going to do it as a habit. Cannot continue with your old life. The old man shouldn't be controlling you. Now the new. Amen. Okay? So the question asked by Paul here is, uh, as, uh, as a likely objection, uh, against those that are forcing against his doctrine, they're forcing Paul. Paul wasn't popular. He was popular with us and with Christians. But you've got to remember what was going on with Paul. If you don't know, read the book of Acts. Everywhere Paul went, he was chased by these Judaizers. And wherever he went to start a church or to, to help a church, they were right behind him, undoing it, and confusing Christians. Right. Read the book of Galatians if you don't believe me. Yeah. Right behind them. Everywhere he went, they were right behind him. Tearing apart what God was doing through him. So Paul is constantly being uh, attacked by these haters of Christ. Christ rejectors constantly attacking him, attacking his doctrine, attacking the Word of God. Remember back when we studied the book of Hebrews, what was the biggest thing Paul was concerned about? Them falling back into Judaism. Remember they had all the, the, the temple and all the, the religious ceremonies and the rites and all this stuff and all these beautiful things. And they went to a church with fishermen. And their family was trying to pull them back into Judaism. And Paul's saying, don't go. He had to fight that. And he's fighting it here a little bit in Romans. We'll talk about in the next chapter. So, Paul's trying to help us to understand this verse 14. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. You're not under that law anymore. Who do you think Paul's talking to here? He's talking to the Jews in the Roman church. Remember the Roman church was uh, half Jews and half Gentiles? Come on in and have a, find a seat there if you want to. Morning. Uh, half Jews and half Gentiles, and, and they were, uh, uh, the, these Jews were facing the same thing they faced everywhere else. They're being attacked and trying to be, trying to be pulled out of the church, and Paul's uh, trying to uh, tell them, don't fall back into that. Remember, you're not under the law. You're under grace. We'll talk more about that in chapter 7. Now, Paul is not talking about, uh, uh, he, he's not against, let me lost my place here. So the question asked by Paul is a likely objection to be forced against his doctrine, plainly showing what sense we are to understand the term law. The term law in verse 14. Let's talk about that a second. Paul is not talking about the ceremonial law. Paul is not talking about uh, the change. Folks lived through the change from the Mosaic law to 
Grace. Folks live through that. That's a big change. That's bigger than COVID. That's big. That's a whole different thing. That's, that's tremendously different. If you're a Jew, living under the Mosaic law, all of a sudden now you're under grace. Boy, what a, what a change. Wow. So there shouldn't be any objection to grace. In fact, uh, no view of the law should give a reason to object to grace, except, fine print, except that which includes freedom from the moral law. Wait a minute. Freedom from the moral law would at once appear to furnish a license to sin with impunity. So these folks that are rejecting grace are saying, well, that gives folks the license to be immoral because they're under grace. No. Freedom from the moral law would be a valid objection if freedom from the moral law meant, as some then had argued, freedom from the moral law in every point of view. If that's what it meant, that would be a problem. And they made it a problem. If folks use grace to break moral law, that would be viewed differently. Amen. And it's what Paul's trying to say here. We're not, we don't have that freedom. We have freedom from moral law enough to serve God. Moral law, we don't have the obligation to fulfill works. We don't have the obligation uh, uh, to do things that are wrong. We have the obligation to do things that are right. Moral law is something you get more of when you're a Christian. How to do things the right way. Do things that are right and do them the right way. That's more impressed as you're a Christian. We have freedom from condemnation on account of our sins and our imperfections. We're not under wrath anymore. We're free from that. So... Paul's not talking about we're not free from the moral law as the rule of life. You know what a rule of life is? You don't hate your brother. You don't hurt people. You don't do this. You don't do that. That's still there. That might be covered in the Mosaic law, but it's still moral law today. We act like Christians. We don't hurt people. That's part of the moral light. Doing what's right. There's no law against that. And... We're, liber we're, we're, we're free, we have liberty to disregard that, but God's going to judge us for that. God will judge us for that. We will hurt the cause of Christ, and Christ will judge us for that. So we're, we still have that, that in us. We don't want to harm God, Christ. We don't want to do what's wrong. How many of you like doing what's right? A few of us do. The rest of you ought to um, consider it. <laughs> How many of you like it when other folks do right? Yeah, everybody agrees their hand then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People like people that do right. We like to do right. We like being around people to do right. We like that. that what's, that's what made America great. We do what's right. We reject what's wrong. So, so he, in verse 15, at the end of there, Paul gives his answer. Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. No, we shouldn't. We still have the obligation 
to fulfill, to obey, to abide by moral law. That's what makes the world go around. We have to do what's right. Those that don't do that are the ones that are, uh, that are problem makers, that are, that are haters of Christ, rejecters of the gospel. They don't believe that. So in verse 15, Paul repeats what he said in verse number 1, as we uh, said. But in verse number 16, he starts to go into this analogy. I can see the clock here, a little bit of glare. Here we go. Oh, okay, we're fine. Um, he goes into this analogy of the slave market in the rest of this chapter. Now, Paul's language about believers being no longer enslaved to sin because having died with Christ, they are dead to sin. And Paul could have pointed out to him, talking about the laws, people back in there knew the laws of slavery, slavery and servitude. They knew it. Did the Jews knew it? I know it. Yes. Why? Because they had been under it before. And also, they had servants before. Remember back then they would defeat an enemy? They would take them as servants. Romans conquered the world. What do you think they did with their enemies? So people knew in this time the rules of servitude, the rules of slavery. So Paul's going to Grab that for a second here, and he's going to talk about it. When a slave has died, under the rule, the master's authority over him is ended. Seems to reason. When a slave has died, no one has any authority over you anymore. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's going to say, instead, that... Your master's authority over you is at an end when the slave passes to a new owner. That's right. Amen. That's what the rest of the chapter is going to, talk, going to talk about. When you're a slave and you die, no one has authority. But if you're changed to a different owner, the previous master doesn't have any say over you anymore. The new master does. Okay? So, Paul brings that up. Because we are not under the old master, the flesh, the world, and Satan. We're under Christ. Amen. We're servants of Christ. Sin was our master, and we were forced to do all the evil things that the master said to do. When sin controlled your life, you did the things that you wouldn't normally do. You did things because you, you, you had to do them. Your master was in control. As a believer, you pass from the service of sin to the service of God. So your duty now is to do what pleases God, not what sin dictates. So the rest of this chapter talks about that, but he uses these these rules or these laws of slavery or servitude for an example to show these uh, people, the church at Rome, you're not under sin anymore. And you've got to break away from that. Amen. And you've got to understand that. There is a great difference between the character of the two forms of service, sin and the Savior. The great difference is the ends to which each leads. 
Sin pays wages to its servants. Wages of sin is death. God does not pay wages to His servants. He gives them something better. He gives them eternal life. Amen. The gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So verse number 16, let's read that. He, I wanted to preface this because this is what Paul's going to talk about. And I don't want to assume everybody knows all these rules here. So that's why I just mentioned what I mentioned. Verse 16, Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Know ye not. So these folks at this time were aware of the known laws of servitude. They knew it. They were that close in history to it. And they can still see some of it around them. They knew this. So he says, whom you yield yourselves to obey, that's who you are servants of. Whether sin or Jesus. And by showing that Christians who had been the slaves of sin have now become the servants of righteousness. Therefore, we are bound by the laws of servitude to obey our new master. We're not slaves of Jesus. The difference between being a servant of Christ and a slave of sin, we do what we do because we want to please Him. We can't wait to find something to to please God with. We're not under oppression. We want to please our Savior. And pleasing Him because He gave us new life. To whom you yield yourselves. To whom you give yourselves for servitude or obedience. Um, 2 Peter 2.19. Let me just read this for you because we're almost out of time. While they promised them liberty, Peter says, they themselves are the servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome is the same uh, as he brought into bondage. We were under sin because sin overcame us. Sin beat us up. They overtook us. We tried to fight sin. What kind of luck did we have? We tried to live moral, but we didn't always do it. Through Christ, we are serving Jesus. We're serving God. So we have this voluntary servitude. So his argument is you were servants of sin under oppression. Now you're servants of God and you are pleased to be that way. Amen. We should be excited about serving God. We're not His slave. John 15, 15. Turn back to that a second. John 15, 15. Let me show you a verse here. We're not slaves. Verse 15, John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants. We're not slaves. I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you what? Amen. Friends. Amen. Friends don't oppress you. Friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. When you're a slave to sin, you don't know what's going on. Because Satan's in charge. You don't know what his plans are. Now we do. We're the friend of Christ. 
And he says, I will tell you all things. How does he tell us that? By the Bible. He's not holding things back. I've told you all things. It's available to you. You're my friends. I want you to be aware and understand what's going on. Okay, so we'll start here today. I'll make a mark in my notes right here. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for the lesson, Father. Pray God you bless the morning service this morning, Father, and the baptism, Father. Pray God you bless uh, everything in your name, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.